Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the 99th episode of Postcards from a Dying World. Yes, it's a little delayed, our our top 10 reads of, of 2022. Uh, that's because um, Judge Mark Rothenberg was in Norway starting a black metal band um, over his Hanukkah break. And he's back now and we're going to get 99 recorded and... I can't tell you what I'm going to do for the 100th episode because it's going to be a surprise, but I'm recording that later today. Um, but I might change my shirt to try to give an illusion that it's a different time. Uh, one thing I want to say before I get into the reads is the shameless plugs because it's shameless plug season. Uh, just came out this year, Nightmare City that I co-wrote with Anthony Trevino. And so this is a horror crime hybrid. Think The Wire, if a young Philip K. Dick and uh, Clive Barker were on the writing staff is kind of what we were going for. Uh, this is from Grand Mall Press, who uh, published um, a lot. Well, they published my book, Flesh Trade, but also um, the Ryan C. Thomas books, uh, the Hissers trilogy, so on and so forth. Good stuff. And uh, so Nightmare City, but also the pre-order is up. It's not coming out till the summer, so you got plenty of time for my next solo novel, which is The Last Night to Kill Nazis. So if you like Nazi killing and World War II uh, monster mash, it I am guarantee you will have a fun time. So that's The Last Night to Kill Nazis. Mark Rothenberg. Is that, is, is that available for pre-order, by the way? That is available for pre-order now. You can pre-order the last night to kill Nazis. So yes, I am. I am looking forward to that. Actually, my black metal band's album will probably drop at some point. Maybe, uh, I, who knows? But being in Norway, I came to realize, yeah, they don't like Nazis there either. Man, the Nazis pretty much destroyed Norway in World War II. I I learned a lot about history there. They so, probably uh, would... have. They probably dislike Nazis more than the general population here, unfortunately, does. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, they probably do, but. I'm looking forward to that book just because of that, if nothing else. Oh, absolutely. And um, so we got a little delayed because of your trip. I didn't plan well. We should have recorded before you left for Norway. It was my bad. So things got backed up. So I've got a whole bunch of episodes in the hopper recorded. And um, I'll have a little bit of preview for at least one of those because it's on my list. But um but we're going to get into it for, for the things that we read. And and um, unlike the movie episode, the best movies, Issa and I had a lot of overlap. Mark and I are not going to have a lot of overlap. And um, I leaned more towards science fiction this year. And Mark stayed on his normal horror track, I think. Yeah, I, I actually went a lot more independent horror. I started reading a lot of indie authors. And I found some really cool stuff. You know, some some that I wouldn't consider indie authors, but I did find a couple really cool indie authors that people to keep your eyes on. Now, Mark, do you listen to music or do you have silence when you read? Uh, yeah, I listen to music typically <laughs> when I read lately. I've been listening to uh, Goblin. I've been listening to right. to, to uh, some Italian horror soundtrack techno music 
from you know Suspiria, Tenenbrae, everything that was a uh, soundtrack to any Dario Argento movie. Uh, that's what I've been listening to lately. Or I'll listen to some classical music. I really don't listen to lyrics for some reason. It just, I don't know, it always kind of takes me out of it. Well, I mix it up a little bit, but I have a um, shuffle that I created on Spotify called Writing Soundtracks. And it's mostly movie scores, but it's also bands that I can't listen to something where I know the lyrics well. It, it can have lyrics. I just can't. It's not. I just can't be like. I'm not going to be listening to Agnostic Front or Sick of It All when I when I'm writing, uh, or Earth Crisis because I don't want to. I'll start singing along and my mind will get distracted. But I have this 700 song playlist that has yeah wow that has movie soundtracks. Anytime I hear something that I'm like, oh, that would be good for writing soundtrack. Um, I put it on there. One thing that's funny about that is because of that. I have the I have a lot of um, Johanna uh, Jonathan, the guy who did who just died a little while ago, did the Mandy soundtrack. I have like almost everything he ever recorded on that shuffle, and it includes the Arrival soundtrack. And they used just a sample of thirty seconds of it in one of the fight scenes in White Lotus, and I was able to recognize it because it's in my my. Cool. Writing shuffle, but my writing shuffle, I also use for reading. So like if I'm reading on the bus or something, I don't play music and headphones or whatever, but when I'm home and a lot of times what I do is I shut off whatever media is going around like uh, nine o'clock, maybe two hours before I go to bed and I'll put on music on headphones, pull out a book and read till I go to sleep. And sometimes I'll read like 100, 150 pages in those sittings. And so I do like to listen to music. However, there are certain bands that um, I do where there are albums and bands that I like to listen to when reading. And so I wanted to highlight three of them that were really popular with me for reading this year. And that's um, uh, like I, I loved the Sear album by Smashing Pumpkins. The funny thing is, is our, our our homie John Shipper, I used to give him shit for liking Smashing Pumpkins in the 90s because I was like a stuck up hardcore kid that only wanted to listen to the ultra heavy stuff. And then I realized that Smashing Pumpkins was really heavy, actually. Yeah, they're they're Smashing Pumpkins. I, like you, I was not a big Smashing Pumpkins fan at the time. I wouldn't even consider myself a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan now, but I definitely appreciate Smashing Pumpkins now and, yeah. and what they did. And I actually, their album that they did in 2020, Sear, I actually, it has a little bit of electronica added to it, but I, for whatever reason, I got really stuck on listening to this album while reading. And it, it I had to shift it out of my reading because I was listening to so much, I was starting to learn the lyrics. And then um, there was a band I discovered in the last, like, maybe two years from Norway, by the way. Uh, and that's this band, Leprous, which is a... They started as a progressive metal band and they're the backing band for Ishan from uh, the black metal band Emperor, his solo project. They're the backing band for him, but they do this. Their singer has this beautiful voice. And so they go from super heavy to really melodic. And then they have some like really, really pretty songs. And um, I just got I'm adding, real... I'm adding them now, actually. Yeah. Um, Leprous is... Um, and their drummer is absolutely incredible. And they discovered him playing drums on the street in Norway. Like, 
he would he would just like set up his drum set and play for for money and that's how they found him so and he's an amazing drummer now considered one of the best in the world um and then the other thing that i listened to a lot was the most recent uh catatonia records city burials uh from speedum and catatonia is one of my all-time favorite bands so i cannot listen to their older albums when i'm reading <laughs> Um, but I listened to their most recent album, City Burials, until I started to learn it. And I actually saw them live in San Diego like about a month ago. And they are incredible. And they have a new album coming out next year called The Void of Stars. And um, so people who want like gothy horror stuff, um, Catatonia is like goth metal meets with a little bit of Cure influence, a little bit of slow dive. So people should really check it out. They're great. I will say there is there is one album I do consistently listen to as well when I read, and that is, uh, well, it's the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack with by Junkie XL. I really, for some that's reason, that's a great soundtrack. Yeah, I'm able to just listen to that over and over and over without a problem while I read. Yeah, that's that's definitely in my writing shuffle. <laughs> and uh, he did a really good song with uh, Dave Gann from um, uh, Depeche Mode that was really good. So. Um, now, generally, in my listening habits, I'm a a, a, a hardcore death metal guy. Uh, hardcore death metal. Earth Christ is my favorite band in the world. Misery Index um, is one of my favorites. I love Testament. Uh, but that's not stuff I listen to when I'm reading. <laughs> that's stuff I listen to when I'm shooting hoops. Um, and for whatever reason, I've discovered that when I listen to Testament, when I'm warming up shooting hoops, I like have a way better shooting percentage. I can't explain it, but... That's what it is. Um, so, okay, I'm going to start with my best nonfiction reads of the year. Mark, do you have any nonfiction reads this year that you want to highlight? I do have a couple. I do have a couple nonfiction reads which I thought were awesome. And as soon as I could find them, here they are. I have two actually, and and okay. I'm I have gonna, five. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, sadly, I'm not just not into nonfiction. There was another nonfiction read, which I'll give an honorable mention to. I don't put it on there because it was a coffee table book, and that is called Untold Horror. And basically, it was a book put out by maybe DK Publishing, but it was about horror movies that were never made. And uh, George Romero had written some stuff in there, but John Landis had done some stuff. I started the year, actually, by seeing a documentary called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, which was all about, and it's on uh, Shudder, I recommend it highly, three-hour documentary about folk horror. So I kind of jumped into watching and reading a lot about folk horror, which I always liked. Everyone knows, like, The Wicker Man. But the book uh, that I will say is my first, uh, my number two nonfiction, is by Howard David Ingram, We Don't Go Back, A Watcher's Guide to Folk Horror. And it's several essay, well, a lot of essays, about various movies, about various books, uh, television shows regarding folk horror. Honestly, uh, it's amazing the amount of international stuff that's out there media-wise regarding folk horror, about you know, people going to places they shouldn't be, outsiders, fish out of water, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, this book was just hit the sweet spot for me at the time. So, and that actually will tie into my retro read too, a little bit. But there's my first one, which was called We Don't Go Back, A Watcher's Guide to Folk Horror, David, Howard David Ingram. I thought it was very good. Nice, thick book. All right. So my reading habits on nonfiction reads is that I generally have 
right now at this point, I usually have a nonfiction read and a fiction read going at the same time. And so depending upon what I'm in the mood to read at any given time. And this last year, most of my nonfiction reads, except for a couple that were research for books um, or pro writing projects was, um, uh, but I'll, most of these were for writing projects is that I've been doing a lot of writing about the history and construction of science fiction and the genre. So I was reading a lot for that or for the for the two podcasts and so generally i and so all five of my uh, nonfiction reads are about genre um per se and the first one that i want to highlight is monster she wrote by lisa kroger and melanie anderson which is kind of a ya book about the history of women writing horror fiction um, but also there's some science fiction in there. And that's how I learned, for example, that the first science fiction novel ever published was by a woman in 1666. Um, I'm brain farting the name of it right now. Um, but I learned it from that book. And this book has really cool illustrations. That's where it's kind of YA-ish. And it's a really neat book. And it's a great reference um, shelf book for the history of women. And it talks about some of the other authors we'll talk about later in this list. Um, but it's a very well done and detailed history. Eventually, I, I want to invite um, Lisa Kroger on the podcast because she is an expert on women who were writing horror genre. Well, so is Lisa Morton, who, who co-edited Weird Women. And so is Lisa Yazik, who edited uh, The Future's Female book. So I thought the three Lisas would make an awesome panel. Um, so you heard it here first. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I have at least two leases committed. I got to get a third, the third Lisa committed, and then we'll do that. So Monster She Wrote by Lisa Kroger and Melanie Anderson. And, um, that's a part of a series. And so there's all kinds of, of nonfiction books in that series about genre. Um, also, um, I got a tie here for D. Harlan Wilson's two nonfiction or two of uh, David Harlan Wilson from Wright State, um, his, who's been on the podcast and uh, will be on two episodes from now, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, D. Harlan Wilson is a publisher and an author, but he um, wrote an amazing uh, Modern Masters of Science Fiction um, book on J.G. Ballard and the history of the guy. J.G. Ballard, if you don't know, wrote Empire of the Sun and Crash and was a very prolific British science fiction author who was kind of considered more literary fiction than science fiction, but it's that kind of like nose in the air thing. He had a wide range of stuff that he wrote. Yeah. It was, it, uh, I don't want to say certainly surreal at times and, uh, it's just pretty straightforward stuff at times. Empire of the Sun was pretty straightforward. I thought. Yeah. Empire um, of the Sun is a straightforward, basically autobiography. He grew up in Shanghai during, uh, uh, uh Japanese occupation um of shanghai so um and that was turned into a movie by by a little uh known director named steven spielberg who um and starred a little known child actor named christian bale um as uh james the character that jg ballard was based on so anyways um and there's two books from this series uh, the university of illinois has a modern masters of science fiction series of biographies and they're great 
And um, that J.G. Ballard one was written by Professor Wilson. But he also wrote an entire companion book to one science fiction novel that uh, Professor Wilson considers his favorite science. I think it's his favorite science fiction or one of them. And that's uh, The Stars My Destination, a.k.a. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger by Alfred Bester. And he wrote a companion book that's like 170 pages of breaking down The Stars My Destination. Really? Yeah. Now, after I read The Stars My Destination for the first time this year and read this companion book, I had Professor Wilson on the Dickheads podcast to cover it. So if you want to get real nerdy on this classic of science fiction, The Star is My Destination, you can read the novel, read the companion book, and hear Dr. Wilson, uh, Professor Wilson and I talk about it. So on the Dickheads podcast and the Dick Adjacent series. So there's that. Um, I got three more. Sorry, on the retro reads. Uh, no, one... that's fine. Or not retro reads. These are nonfictions, right? Nonfiction. Sorry. I do have one more nonfiction, but I'll do it right before your number one. Okay. This one was huge. This is like a coffee ta table size book. It's, it's like amazingly laid out. And this is Dangerous Visions, New Worlds. This is a series of essays about like radical new wave era science fiction. Um, and it's really good. Now, here's the thing. As a serious Philip K. Dick nerd, I thought the essay on Philip K. Dick was ridiculously bad and just barely scratched the surface. But that could just be me. It might not bother anybody else. Um, I thought also the essays on Barry Maltzberg were, were kind of lacking. But I learned about a bunch of and some of my reads and the retro reads came from directly from reading this book. And overall, I think this book is a must-have. I think if you like radical science fiction, it's a must-have book, even though, because so, it's a book of essays, so not every essay is great. But for example, there's an essay on pornographic science fiction of the 60s. I had no idea that there was an entire line of like Cinemax-style pulp sci-fi that came out. Philip Jose Farmer was one of the authors that wrote for it, which makes really? sense. Well, yeah, he wrote The Lovers, which was the first sci-fi novel to get real, like, like horny. So it's not that surprising. But um, but there's also some things, like, I learned that, um, I learned about an author who I later read a treatment, an unproduced treatment for Star Trek on, who was, uh, like, one of the first, like, out trans authors from the 60s. So, and these are all things I learned from reading um, Dangerous Visions, New Worlds, and New Worlds. Um, Andrew Nettie and I, the one of the co-editors, have, have threatened to get on the podcast together, but he lives in Australia, so the timing is really hard. But uh, cool guy, love this book. Um, it's not perfect, but it's so good. Um, you know, it's no collection with various authors is ever going to be perfect. Um, but overall, I thought it was great. Um, number two on my retro reads is also in the modern masters of science fiction from the university of Illinois series. And I believe it might've been the first or second in the series. And that's the, um, John Bruner, um, modern masters of science fiction book. And that was the first book I read this year. I read two, I read a book from the seventies called the happening worlds of John Bruner, which only goes through 19, cause it was 1977 and he was still alive and still working. 
Um, I read those two books back to back about John Bruner and John Bruner is my, you know, it's funny because I do a Philip K. Dick podcast, but probably my favorite new wave or that era author is really John Bruner. I think John Bruner is the best. And um, eventually uh, I have plans to turn all this knowledge about John Bruner into things, into things. But uh, for right now, um, I was just getting the background on that. And one of the things that I, that this inspired was that I discovered that one of the short story collections of his that I had now then had his first published short story from when he was a teenager from Astounding Magazine, um, Thou Good and Faithful, I think is the name of the story. Anyways, I got a review of it on the blog and um, and it, I read that and it was incredible to see uh, teenage John Bruner, like how much in the, in, in the like early 50s he already had at his powers. So anyways, before I get to my number one, you have another nonfiction read? Yeah, so here's my nonfiction read, and I know you and I discussed this. I read this earlier this year, and honestly, a little bit of background. Uh, I'm a judge. Uh, I applied, however, for the Court of Appeals of the state of Indiana this year. And during that interview, uh, which I did not get the job, but I'm not disheartened at all. I'll do it, try it again. But w- during the interview, they asked me, and this is public record, what's the last book you read? I didn't lie. And I told them. It was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the film that terrified a rattled nation. And uh, I will tell you, and I know you're not a huge Texas, huge Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. Am I still correct on that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's not one of my favorites. Uh, I, as I appreciate, I've watched it, yeah. I appreciate as I've watched what it over, Yeah, as I've watched it over and over, I've really become, I've really come to appreciate it quite a bit. And this book is not just about the making of the movie. I mean, it is actually a little bit, but it's really about the time that our country was in right death of the american farmer in the american farm uh, a lot of you know uh death of the american west uh watergate all of that stuff and how that affected not only the movie texas chainsaw massacre but how it affected toby hooper and his attitude towards making movies and telling stories and how it affected other people in making movies and telling stories and uh as a matter of fact, look, J.G. Ballard right here at the top says, "It's this is by Joseph Lanza. Mr. Lanza is a clever, shrewd, clever, and always entertaining. Who knew that he would write that about this book? Um, or uh, It sounds like he wrote guy. it about the author, not... Yeah, he wrote about the author. And what's I... funny is the author's not that old, so I don't know how that happened, but okay. Uh, but honestly, I thought this was a great book because it does really tie in the history of our country and, and the tumultuous time we were going through that started producing things like texas chainsaw massacre and horror at that time and as you well know in in science fiction and horror and and genre usually has these thriving periods when we are in this conflict right Mm -hmm. when we have these issues in america look at what happened the last two years i would argue that the last couple years have been fantastic for horror and fantastic for science fiction and i think a lot of that comes from not only the political aspects, but COVID and, and all of the other stuff that's been happening. Uh, so this was a great book. I would highly recommend it. It did not, I mean, it's a history book, but it doesn't really read like a history book. Uh, but there you go. That was my number one nonfiction well, read this year. Well, and there's a lot of books coming out now that are biographies of movies themselves. And it didn't make my final list, but Blood, Sweat and Chrome about the making of Fury Road was an incredible biography of a film. and it's the reason I watched Babe Pig in the City the other night, by the way, is like the 
just the insanity of Babe Pig in the City was first brought to me by reading <laughs> Blood, Sweat, and Chrome. Because, you know, the only reason why George Miller did not direct the original Babe is he thought he was going to make Fury Road with Mel Gibson in 1997. And at the last minute, the studio pulled the plug. So, and I learned that because of Blood, Sweat, and Chrome. Imagine if we had gotten a 1997 um, Fury Road with... Uh, I'm glad it worked out the way that we did. I'm, I'm happy. Look, Fury Road is in my top five movies. Uh, I'm yeah. happy it worked out. And that is on my to-read list as well. But as you mentioned in your podcast about movies, yeah, uh, George Miller pretty much sold me on every movie he'll ever make from now on on Fury Road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he 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 deserves that. Fury Road is, is a masterpiece. So... Uh, my number one is from an author who grew up in our home state of Indiana. In fact, he grew up in Bloomington. His father and my father were uh, went to synagogue together. And that's uh, Professor Gavriel Rosenfeld, um, who wrote a, an incredible nonfiction book called The World Hitler Never Made. And it is a history of um, alternate Nazism um, about... Basically, it's all alternate. It's a book about counterfactual books about Nazism and World War II. And like, so think of like Man in the High Castle or The Plot Against America, like those types of things, but a whole book. And what I didn't realize was how deep that history was. There's a lot more alternate history. And that includes novels that were written during World War II that kind of foresaw the end. So I'm confused. Is this a book about alternate histories or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a nonfiction study of counterfactual histories of science fiction. Now I had uh, professor Rosenfeld on our man in the high castle bonus episode for dickheads to talk about. And it was funny when I invited him on the podcast, I didn't know he was from Bloomington. And he was, he was like, yeah, uh, your stepbrother and I were really good friends growing up. And, uh, <laughs> and I hung out with the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like, How, how's Susan? You know, and I was just kind of like, whoa. Because um, I just invited him because I read that he had written this book, The World Hitler Never Made. And when I read the word, if you were following me on Twitter, when I was reading The World Hitler Never Made, I added so many books to my what to read list. Um, and eventually I'm going to read them all from Night of the General to Night of the Generals, which was made into a movie, Don Pleasance and a bunch of other people. Um, but it's just like, there were literally probably 40 or 50 books, um, that I was like, oh my God, I have to read that. Um, eventually that I read about in, um, Gov's book. And, uh, it is, it's an incredible study. It's very thorough. Um, and they're, de it's, it, it's kind of a dense nonfiction book but definitely worth reading a lot of stuff about um spinrad's iron dream man in the high castle stuff like that but the thing is you'd be surprised he doesn't write as much about those individual books because he's got a lot to, to handle in there but that was probably the coolest nonfiction read that i had of the year and um unfortunately i hadn't read it by the time i didn't have time to read it before um didn't come in the mail before i had him on the podcast so um and then i didn't end up reading it until this year because that was like a couple years ago and then i i didn't end up reading it until this year and when i did i was like man this is really good 
So, and he's written other books and he is very knowledgeable about the rise of anti-Semitism in our world today, um, which, you know, obviously inspired my most recent book. So yeah, I was, um, yeah, very cool. So on to our retro reads. Do you have, you have, how many retro reads do you have? Mark? I only really have one retro read. I kind of retro read. Well, that's not true. I really have two. I kind of retro read is something that's uh, a little bit distant, at least 10 to 15, at least 15 years old, but usually much farther. Uh, the first retro read that I'll say, and it's not my number one, I'd say it's my number two. I did a lot of short stories and I basically read the collected ghost stories of MR James. And I've read a lot of his stories before, but this is the first time I really read him in bulk. And uh, MR James, the, the, you know, the headmaster of Cambridge University and uh, used to get people together for ghost stories. That was sort of his club there and did it for Christmas. A lot of classic stories, uh, Whistle and I'll Come to You, Lad, and, and uh, you know, Casting the Runes. That was my first retro read. Any any person who likes genre fiction should read his stuff. It's amazing. That was my first retro read. All right. So I I read a lot of retro stuff. So I... <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I cut it to five, but I have a couple honorable mentions, one of which is um, by uh, Philly himself, and that would be a Scanner Darkly. Um, and I'd read Scanner Darkly before, but reading Scanner Darkly again was amazing. Um, I personally feel in the five years that we've been doing the Dickheads podcast and we're almost done with this catalog. I mean, we're getting close to his death here in the catalog. We're recording Ballast next week. Scanner Darkly, our Scanner Darkly episode uh, with get, special guest Dickhead John Shirley is our best episode. Um, I am very proud of that episode. Um, I, I was in the zone. I had just recently gone to Berkeley to see all of his childhood homes. So I was fired up. Um, we were all, we, we, it's one of the rare cases where we all like the book at the same time. Cause a lot of times we don't, it's like one of us likes, one of us doesn't, you know, whatever we all liked it. We were all passionate about it and we had a great guest. So more than anything, I recommend, uh, and this is kind of silly, but I recommend reading Skinner Darkly and listening to our episode because I'm very proud of it. And I think it's very good. If you're at all interested in Philip K. Dick, the history, uh, because Skinner Darkly is a very autobiographical book. And so we get into, we did a, a breakaway episode where we broke down the real life events and how it relates to the novel and got into, because there's his, like, for example, his stepfather was keeping a journal at the time that that um, Phil's biographer got. So we have like almost day-to-day um, history of what was going on in his life while he was like losing his shit to drugs. Um, so that's, I think, really interesting. Then uh, another honorable mention is Blood Music by Greg Bear. Greg Bear just passed away last month. Great book, um, by the way, yeah. Yeah, and Blood Music is a classic in the genre. I had never read it. Um, I needed to. It's one of the great hard sci-fi meets body horror, like end of the world, weird apocalypse novels. It's, it is a classic for a reason. I know it was a short story first. I've only read the novel version. There's some people that swear by the short story version being better. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read the short story version. I read the, the novel. And um, I would also like to shout out um, uh, 
Ray Nelson, who wrote the story that They Live was based on, also passed away around the same time. And, well, Greg Bear got a lot of attention for his passing. Ray Nelson was, like, barely noticed, and he was one of Phil's best friends. Um, I'm interviewing Ray Nelson's son for the Dickheads podcast next week. Um, And uh, if you have not read 8 O'Clock in the Morning, the story that They Live was based on, there's great audio versions on YouTube. It is really chilling, and it's different from the movie and and worth hearing so and ray nelson um i just recently read his novel virtual zen which was i'm not gonna say it was good but it was really interesting (laughs) um but not to that was his last novel anyways uh, so i'll mention that one too and then i read a three novella collection by walter miller who wrote a canical for Leibowitz called conditionally human and I'm, I might be, by the way, one of the few people who did not like Canical for Leibowitz. You're insane. Um, I didn't so, look. I just didn't like. I don't know why. Maybe it was the time I read it. I read it like 20 years ago. I was just my like, second favorite science fiction novel of all time. So I, I don't disagree. But it was just like I read it and I was like, oh, this just goes to prove one thing to me that not all Hugo winners were masterpieces. Oh, my I, God. I deserve a no, re- it probably deserves no, a reread. No. Probably deserves a, a reread. All right. So, anyways, the first <laughs> the first novella in this collection is it's interesting. If you it's an animal rights story, it's about genetically uplifted animals. It was written in the 50s. And look, I'm not saying Philip K. Dick ripped it off, but a lot of the way the story is constructed in the beginning is very similar to the beginning of do androids dream of electric sheep and it has a lot of similar themes and we know for a fact because tessa uh, phil's last wife has confirmed to me that he was a fan of canical for Leibowitz. so he read miller so um i i think hi pup um Mark's it's this is puppy. this is uh brixton brixton his, his real name is guns of brixton by the way Oh, that's that's great clash reference. I get it. Yeah, that was his name. All right, so on to my actual top five retro reads. Um, and since I I'll try not to go so long because I did so long on my honorable mention. Um, I this year read uh, because I was supposed to be writing an article about him, and then it en- I ended up not getting the gig to write the article. But um, with the release of the TV show on Showtime, um, the man who fell to Earth. Um, I went on a reading binge of Walter Tevis. And if you don't know Walter Tevis, Walter Tevis is the guy who wrote The Man Who Fell to Earth. He had a brilliant science fiction novel in the 80s called Mockingbird, but he only wrote six novels. He wrote three novels and then he disappeared into alcoholism and being a professor for a couple decades and quit writing. And then in 1980, in the last like three years of his life, he wrote three more novels. Uh, and um one of those was mockingbird which is a masterpiece but his first masterpiece in the 50s was the hustler and the hustler was turned into a movie with paul newman and the sequel color of money was directed by martin scorsese both the hustler and the color of money were novels by walter tevis walter tevis wrote three science fiction novels and three mainstream novels um and the other mainstream novel was the queen's gambit okay so this guy could write, but he only wrote six books. That's it. So, um, and one was a short story collection of his science fiction. 
And uh, so it's re he's a really interesting guy to me because he had this mainstream literary success with The Hustler, but he was a sci-fi guy. And then he, you know, had The Man Who Fell to Earth, right? So very interesting writer. Um, the Hustler was great. Um, it's a novel about pool halls. And on, on paper, I don't know if I should have liked it, but Tevis is such a great writer. But if you're only going to read one Tevis, if you're only going to read one Tevis, I would either read Queen's Gambit or Mockingbird. And those were the three books that he wrote before he died in 1980 were Mockingbird, Queen's Gambit. And then he wrote this very weird science fiction novel called Steps of the Sun. And then he passed away. And a lot of people don't think Steps of the Sun lives up to the all the other books. Um, but I would say Steps of the Sun is, well, partially because it's so weird. But I kind of like that it's weird. But anyways, I read and reviewed most of Tevis's book over the books over the last year. I'm saving Color of Money, so I have one more Tevis to read at some point. I haven't read it yet. And uh, yeah, so Color... No, he wrote Color of Money, Mockingbird, Queen's Gambit, and Steps of the Sun in the 80s before he died. So, um, and Color of Money, the movie, didn't come out until like right after he died. So yeah, interesting dude. Um, and he was a pool hall hustler before he published his book. And so the hustler is very autobiographical as well. The next one is one that I read from Dangerous Visions and New Worlds. And I can already see Mark writing this one down that he's going to read it. And that is Ice by Anna Kavan. Kavan, which is a pen name for a woman named Helen Woods, who uh, was born in 1901 to a very wealthy family. Um, and then she ended up like institutionalized and addicted to heroin. <laughs> and she wrote this book, Ice, somewhere in there. I've and, never heard of this book. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before I read Dangerous Visions, New Worlds, but I read a 50th anniversary Penguin edition. So it's apparently a classic and um, it's a story. It's a weird apocalypse story about the world being taken over by this kind of supernatural encroaching ice. And it's weird as fuck. It's um, there's, there's this weird glass girl. It's she never wrote anything else genre, but she wrote this insanely weird end of the world masterpiece and like her other books are like weird memoirs about being a, a heroin addict or whatever. And so this book out of nowhere is incredible. It's an incredible book. It's very weird. And then the next book is an author who I've already told Mark he has to read and he's going to have to read because this author grew up in his city of Indianapolis where Mark also grew up and that's Northwest of Earth by Catherine Lucille Moore, C.L. Moore. And we did a podcast in my 19... Uh, we did a series of podcasts about the 1930s science fiction. And we did... The first novella in this book is called Chamblot. It's a classic vampire story. Um, and so we did a whole podcast with um, German commentator Cora, Cora Bullart. Cora's amazing. And Greg Cox, who collected um, Chamblot in a book of vampire stories that he edited. And Chamblot, um, if you think, oh, well, it's just a vampire story, whatever. Well, 
this was a vampire story written in like 1934 for Weird Tales. And so Catherine Lucille Moore went to, um, briefly went to college at Mark's alma mater, Indiana University, lived in a dorm that was three blocks from my home from middle she live in she live in forest no it wasn't um it's a building that's not a dorm now but right it's um i i had it all broken down in our episode i don't remember now i'll have to go listen i didn't listen to it yeah well you have to read it first and then listen but um cl moore lived in it was the first women's dorm it was the very first women's dorm at iu she did two years at iu and then because of the depression could not afford to finish but she was first published in the Vagabond IU Literary Journal and her first fantasy stories, which I read, which I found online and read. And uh, C.L. Moore then um, went and worked at a bank in Indianapolis. The reason why she took the name C.L. Moore was not to hide her gender, but because she couldn't moonlight. And during the Depression, you weren't allowed to, to have two jobs because they were chasers and such premium. And since she was making so much money writing stories for Weird Tales, she didn't want the bank she was working at in Indianapolis to know she was um, moonlighting. By the way, the bank, the building where the bank she worked in still exists in Indianapolis. That's also in the podcast. I think it's a hotel now. Um, but C.L. Moore eventually started trading letters with another science fiction writer from L.A. named Henry Kuttner, who's who she eventually married and they were a writing team together. And his first letter to her was, Dear Mr. Moore, even though he was introduced to her by H.P. Lovecraft as Kathy Moore. So, you know, but hey, uh, their marriage was initiated by H.P. Lovecraft. So that's kind of interesting, right? Because they wouldn't have started writing each other. But so anyway, C.L. Moore was uh, in the 30s, wrote all these stories about a rogue character named Northwest Smith, who is like, completely Han Solo and Indiana Jones rolled into one and he goes around like the solar system encountering monsters um, in these 1930s stories. And so this collection Northwest of Earth is all the Northwest Smith stories. She also wrote a bunch of fantasy stories about a character named Jorel Jory, which was like a redheaded, imagine Jessica Chastain playing Conan. That's what you kind of get with Jorel Jory. Um, those are really good too, but I read Northwest of Earth, um, a sci-fi Golden Works collection of these stories. So yeah, that's a lot on CL Moore, but you've got to read CL Moore, dude. She's from your town, right? I will. I, yeah, she went to Arsenal Tech, it looks like here. Uh, yeah, and I have one other retro read, so okay. whenever you're ready for that. Uh, well, I, I, I'm not going to go long in the next one because the next sure. one I have on my list is Galaxies by Barry N. Maltzberg. And I'm not going to talk about Galaxies because I've already recorded episode 101 of this podcast, two episodes from now, um, James Reich and Professor David Harlan Wilson joined me. And David uh, is the um, publisher of the reissue of Galaxies, and James wrote the forward for it. And so we go in depth. We have a lot of tangents about Philip K. Dick. So I highly recommend that episode. It's already recorded. And then one more retro read from you, and then I'll get my top retro read. Yeah, so my retro read, again, ties in with that full core thing. Once I was done reading that book, I was like, you know, I'm literally looking for a book that, that you know, and there's a lot of full core out there, but something I haven't read before, a classic. And I read this, and this would have 
probably been my number two or number three of my top ten, if it wasn't a retro read and counting as a retro read, which was Harvest Home by Thomas Tryon. Um, and if you haven't read this book, my, bro- I gave my, it to my brother for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I gave I it know. to my brother and he's reading it now. And he's like, man, this is really kind of a slow burn. Is that true? And I go, yeah, it's a slow burn. And then it burns it all down. Like, yeah, it, it goes up in an inferno at the end. It's this one of those book... books like um, Ceremonies by T.E.D. Klein. Yeah, that... yeah. Yes. I would agree. Yeah, I've heard that. It, it burns I just it read it. I, I need all to. down. And I highly recommend this book. Uh, it, it really is sort of, you know, a family moves to a small town look, looking for a change of pace, looking to get out of the city. The town is is kind of aloof to them, but then accepts them. And of course, when it accepts them, it expects them to accept it back and everything that comes with it. Uh, I cannot tell you enough how much I really enjoyed it. it. It does start off slow. I can't. I couldn't disagree with my brother on that. But man, it they did make a movie out of it. It was a two part mini series for television called. Uh, either like the mystery of harvest home or something like that with Betty Davis in it. Uh, and I did, and you can see kind of copies of it on YouTube that aren't very good. I wish they released it because it is a pretty faithful adaption. It's like a four or five hour. It is a pretty faithful adaption of, of the book. Uh, it doesn't go all the way the book does for various reasons, but, uh, yeah. So that's harvest home by Thomas Tryon, uh, 1973. Great book. All right, so my top retro read of the year was uh, also a Dick Adjacent episode of um, Dickhead's podcast, so you can see our coverage of it with, again, German commentator Cora Bullard um, and uh, Grant Womack, who's an author who we'll, make, uh, who we'll talk about again in a little bit. Um, and this book was written by the co-screenwriter of The Empire Strikes Back, who wrote the first draft of The Empire Strikes Back briefly before her death. Um, who was married to Edmund Hamilton and the best man at her wedding was uh, Ray Bradbury. Cool lady, friend of C.L. Moore, Lee Brackett, who was also a screenwriter who wrote for, I think it was John Ford. Like she wrote, she wrote some really big heavyweight movies and she got the job because she wrote a noir novel in the fifties. And, and I think it was, I think it was for whoever the director she worked with was like, get me this Lee Brackett guy on the phone and then was surprised when a woman's voice was on the other end, but he hired her and Lee Brackett was a monster of science fiction. She was known as the queen of the pulps in the forties. She wrote a bunch of space opera in the forties and fifties, but she wrote this novel called the big jump in the fifties, which is like sci-fi horror and it was Dosey Doe was the first book published in the Ace Doubles editions with um, Philip K. Dick's initial or debut novel, Solar Lottery. And that's why we covered it on the podcast. But The Big Jump is an incredible sci-fi horror novel. It's basically about um, the horrors of humanity reaching out into interstellar space. And it's almost cosmic. And it's it's basically about like um that us as a species making that jump into interstellar space and not being able to handle it right so the science is out of date for now but at the time it was hard sci-fi for what it was 
Now, Lee Bracken mostly wrote space operas, but she also wrote a fantastic post-apocalyptic novel called The Long Tomorrow. And even though she's known, which is very underrated, but she's, so she's known for these pulpy space operas, but this is the best Lee Brackett book I've read. And it was my favorite retro read of the year. It was early in the year and it was incredible. And we got a podcast to go with it. So if you go and read it, it's very thin as 50 sci-fi books were. So it won't take up a lot of your time. Uh, I highly recommend it. So um, before we get into our top 10, do you have any honorable mentions this year, Mark? I've got a couple honorable mentions uh, and, and it didn't make my top 10. It was good. Both of these I listened to on audiobook. Uh, and, and the reason I think there was a book that was on your top 10 last year did what this does much better. And I should mention that in my top 10, I don't mention there are a lot of books I read that would have made my top 10 that I actually were on my to read list that were on your top 10 last year, like Year Zero, uh, The Last House on Needless Street. But the first honorable mention I'll, I'll do was, uh, and some people like this book, some people hate this book, which is I'm Thinking of Ending Things by, uh, I want to say it's Ian Reed, maybe. Um, it was it was a good audiobook. I really enjoyed listening to it. I like the way it was written. I kind of you could kind of see where it was going, um, but I thought it was good. They made a movie out of it for Netflix. I want to say Charlie Kaufman might have written and directed it, and it's very Kaufman esque. Uh, but that's the first honorable mention. My second honorable mention, which I know you read, I don't know if you read it this year or last year, but you I don't think like this book. But I listened to the audio version, and I think it was perfect for the audio version, which was De-Evolution by Max Brooks. Um, yeah, not a fan. I thought that book was... I, I, I liked it because you had the the voice actors were good, the way it was done. Audio, I don't know if you listened to it audio-wise or read the book. No, I read the book. Yeah, it it's was... It's got to work was... that way, too. If you're going to publish it as a book, it's Yeah, gotta... I don't disagree, but that's, that's why it's on honorable mentions, by the way. It, I have a lot of respect a, for Max Brooks, but I did not like. You didn't that. like. I, I read. I read your review. I know you didn't like it, but for some reason it clicked for me. I was like, "All right, you got news reports, you got interviews with people." It was more of an oral history. I thought World War Z was a better book, definitely. Um, but yeah, Devolution that was my honorable mention. I, 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 I don't even entirely like remember why I didn't like it. I just remember that it I was Sasquatch, it. Sasquatch Massacre. That's what it was, really. Yeah. That's what it was. All right. Okay, so um, Mark is done with his honorable mentions. So we took a little break. Um, uh, my honorable mentions, first I'm going to have uh, Manhunt by Gretchen uh, Fletcher Martin, um, which is kind of like a trans retelling of the Screwfly, Screwfly Solution, the classic by James Tiptree Jr., and it's incredible. It's a great book. I did a whole interview. Wait, they do a trans version of the screw fly, screw fly solution. Yeah, she's she kills it. It's a it's a trans point of view. And just look at the cover of Manhunt. Oh, I know the cover of Manhunt. I've seen it many times. I yeah. just didn't really know what it was about. Uh, it's intriguing because screw fly, fly solution and, and the the gender topics it handles is so you know i mean right so what it, it is already coming from there's tip tree and her and how that all came about gretchen so. does a great job she she 
she references screw screw fly solution you're gonna have trouble saying that multiple times in the novel um she's not hiding the fact that she's responding to it that she's kind of updating the idea with what we know about trans issues and it's written by trans author it's great um uh she's a really really great writer and um had a cool podcast so uh, i highly recommend that and that's the one i'm going to talk about probably the most uh the devil takes you home by gabino iglesias which is a book that i thought came out a long time ago and it just came out this year um because gabino had announced it so long ago and i'm working on getting gabino on the podcast uh to talk about this book it's a great uh barrio noir and then the last honorable mention is a, a very thin novella. My biggest problem with this novella was how short it was. I could have dealt, I could have done a whole novel of it. Um, and that's God's Leftovers by Grant Womack, which is like kind of like a psychedelic hills have eyes type of thing. So um, very brutal. Um, I'm I've got Grant's um, soon to be released short story collection in my hopper. And I'm reading uh, for a blurb and my, this dude uh, pulls no punches. He's, he's, um, he's brutal in a way that many writers are afraid to do these days. So very extreme. Yeah, I, I've got, I've got uh, Gabino Iglesias' book on my to read shelf right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks great. I've never really read anything by him. Everyone says Zero Saints is really good too. Um. Yeah, and you'd like the Grant Womack one. It's a it's a, it's only like 50, 60 pages, so it's like a one sitting read for you. Um and uh but um his upcoming short story collection, you might want to hold out for that because uh I think you'll especially like that. But Grant's uh and he was on my uh big jump episode, uh breaking down Lee Bracket. And he was also part of the Nightmare City preview episode because he was one of the early readers of Nightmare City. So cool. Um, so uh, our top 10, Mark. What All is right. Your number 10? Uh, this is my number 10. This is also a book that uh, I listened to audiobook as I was driving to work every day. Um, and I think you did read this book, and I think you actually liked this book, which was Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan. Um, yes, and uh, interviewed Sarah here on this podcast. For I this. had never read anything by Sarah. This actually was an audio book, and I was reading it at the same time. So I was reading it at night just to you know pick up and move back and forth. Uh, I thought this was a great book. It's incredible. First, it's very I good. wasn't sure where it was going or what it was trying to do. But man, it really was a snapshot of our, not just our country, but just human beings. Because we all know people like those that douchebag family. <laughs> right. We all do. We all know people who were just like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm going to burn you down no matter what. And it was just a, I don't know how she, like I said, I had never written anything. I had never read anything by her before. I think I expected something that was a little bit more horror related. And it's horrific, but I wouldn't call it a horror book. It, it's surreal. I would compare it in tone to the uh, movie Vivarium, if people seen that. Yeah kind of similar to that not the same concept but no but it but it was just a very cool had a little climate had a little cli-fi in there had a little had a little of everything but honestly it came down to a human nature story and uh when those are told well you know there's really no better horror or sci-fi or just novel 
And yeah, uh, had, re- had a really good time uh, with Sarah on the podcast talking about that book. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was it. Good neighbors. Definitely also a good snapshot of mob mentality uh, and how quickly things can turn just based on who your friends are, who you like. Okay. So, my number 10 uh, is currently this month, like the thriller read of the month for Barnes and Nobles nationally. Um, and was this was tweeted out by Stephen King as well-deserved. And this book is Road of Bones by Christopher Golden. Um, this is a high-concept horror novel that I described as a mix of paranormal activity, ice road truckers, wages of fear, and Joe Carnahan's The Gray. <laughs> Had you and, read Christopher Golden before? Yes. Yeah. And so I, I, I had I, not read Christopher Golden, but one of his books is on my list. Yeah. He's, he's it's cool. not that one. Okay. Um, I read, he did a science fiction novel a couple of years ago that I really liked. Um, I have not, and I've read some of his like, like tie in work and, and um, I used to listen to three guys with beards, the podcast that he did with Mayberry and James, James A. Moore. Um, and uh, so but anyways, um, I like isolation horror and this is about like a, a YouTube group of people who do YouTube shows about hauntings going to this haunted road in Siberia. And um, the story is really simple, but the execution is not. It's very high level horror, uh, tightly wound around atmosphere and action. And there it's a short novel, but a lot is packed in and um it is for next it's next level horror writing it's really really good so um it may even be better written than some of the books higher on my list but um but this is where i slotted it for for me so yeah number 10 road of bones by christopher golden uh highly recommended um but even yeah Yeah, go ahead i was gonna say yeah so so the one I just read by him, uh, and, and we'll get to it later. I really just read it probably less than a month ago. First time I ever read anything by him. I'm really looking forward to reading more by him. I know he has another book coming out called All Hallows, uh, yeah. but this book is also on my list to read. So yeah, he has a graphic novel with Tim Levin um, coming out too. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but um, Tim uh, promoted it on the podcast. So. Uh, your number nine, Mark. My number nine is What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. Uh, by the way, are you seeing this backwards? Do I need a reverse no, no, thing? Are you seeing it right? Yeah. This is my camera. Uh, this is a, a very short book. Read and I hadn't and I have a couple other T. Kingfisher books that I the twisted ones that I haven't read um yet. Again, I just have a every year I get a bunch of books that for, that's what I ask for for the holidays. And I literally stock up on books that I just start flying through. This is a retelling and a pretty good retelling of uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. And it's got a little bit of supernatural. Well, it definitely has some supernatural into it. Uh, a little bit more modernized. Uh, retired soldier comes to visit his friends. He finds out his friends are kind of dying. If you're familiar with The House of Usher, uh you know, it's it'll be familiar to you, but enough difference in the way it's written. I thought it was really tightly written. It takes a lot of balls, in my opinion, to try to sort of rewrite 
something by Edgar Allan Poe or or H. P. Lovecraft or or yeah. uh, or anyone for that matter. But I think that that you know I think she did a really good job with this. Uh, what moves the dead by T. Kingfisher? I recommend as my number nine. Uh, my number nine, friend of the podcast, three-time guest, uh, Daphne by Josh Mellerman. Um, this is one of the last reads I had of the year and maybe it came, well, no, it deserves to be here. This is a love letter to three things. Well, to two things. It's a love letter to horror novels and to the sport of basketball. And if, uh, you know, I'm a big hooper. Uh, Josh is a big hooper. In fact, one of the times he was on the podcast was talking about basketball. Um, and- Who else was he on the podcast with, though? That's the best part. The authors you had on the podcast just talking about basketball were hilarious. That was hilarious. Paul Tremblay, Stephen Graham Jones, and Josh Mallerman. So I would argue three of the best horror authors were writing today or on your podcast just to talk about basketball. It was great. And we didn't talk about horror at all. No, no. Uh, yeah uh that was the joke um and uh, anyways uh so josh mellerman's daphne is a listen i don't want to be reductive of women's basketball because i personally love women's basketball my father was a devoted fan of the iu women's basketball team and that's when you know you're a true hoop head when uh like my father who would go to every women's basketball game but you know what? In late in his life, he preferred going to the women's game than the men's games because the men's game were too loaded with people, and they play think, fundamental basketball. Yeah, and that's right. And so, what's awesome? One of the things that's really smart about this novel is that it's about basketball and a serial killing ghost, but. Josh chose to do a girls basketball team, a girls high school basketball team. And what was smart about that was that part of the book is it's also a book about anxiety. And if he had done the boys team, like boys basketball players are have to kind of have a machismo about them. And if he had done a boys team, like you, you have to believe you're the best on the court at all times to kind of do like boys basketball. So it was like a really smart writing decision to make it about the women's team. And, um, and also one of the inciting incidents of the book is the ball don't lie. So if you know anything about hooping, you know, uh, it's, it's a really genius trick to write a horror novel that pays loving tribute to horror, revenge, horror, basketball, and be very poignant in how it writes about anxiety. And Josh Mellerman pulls off all of those things. Now, one of the things is Josh had an amazing success with, with Bird Box. The fact, the fact that he's a his books are answers on Jeopardy routinely now. Uh, that's happened three times. Um, and Josh's success is almost meteoric. And here's the thing. He deserves it. He is a fantastic writer. And one of the most unapologetic, I'm a horror writer. So kudos to I, Josh. I have so much respect for him and what he's doing. And he writes like, like he's a spinning top. Like he never stops. He's 
And he's currently filming a documentary about the process of writing his current novel, which is interesting. What's, what's give me give me the elevator pitch for for Daphne here? Okay, so I guess I didn't do that. So it's about a girls' basketball team that um, that have this game that they where they if they they make a wish before shooting a free throw, and if they you know if you make it, it always comes true. And before the big game, they hear this story about this seven foot player who was re- who was recruited by their high school team back in the day, but she was such a freak and weirdo that she couldn't play basketball, but she had the body for it and um, ended up killing a bunch of people. And there's this urban legend about this woman, Daphne, who... And so the very first scene of the book, the, the character is about to shoot the game-winning free throw. And she says, will Daphne kill me? And then she sinks the shot. And so the elevator pitch is uh, revenge ghost, basketball. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not good at pitching this book, but it's incredible. That's not the best pitch for it. All right. Look, I'm in. Seven-foot revenge ghost. I'm good with it. Who couldn't play basketball. Yeah, who couldn't play basketball. Uh, there's more to it. There's there's Daphne fans. There's there's super fans on the internet. There's there's a whole thing with anxiety, and it, there's a lot going on. I love Daphne. It's very good. Um, is it Mallerman's best? I don't know about that. That being said, one of the things that I really appreciate about what Mallerman does, if you look at his book, Pearl, if you try to explain the concept of Pearl, it doesn't sound like it could work in a million years. And he pulled it off. Like if you tell the concept of, um, you know, pig gets revenge on everyone that hurt him, like, re- like revenge pig, like that's not going to work. Psychic that's that's pig, that's the Babe movie I want to see. Well, exactly. And <laughs> if you if I tell you it's about a psychic revenge pig, you're going to be like, there's no way that works, and it works. And the thing is with Mallerman, I so I'm so impressed by the fact that he can make some of these concepts work. I don't think I can make revenge psychic revenge pig work. He did. Oh, don't doubt yourself. Well, I don't know. I think that's a Mallerman thing. All right. So you're number eight. So yeah, num- Daphne by Josh Mallerman. My number eight is the Christopher Golden book. I had not uh, read him yet, and it was Ararat. This came out. He's come out with a lot of books in a short period of time. This came out in nineteen, two thousand and seventeen, maybe. There's a uh, sequel too, I believe. There's, I think, two sequels. Oh, okay. And then, and, and then he's got two other books. That, he's come out with like five books in six years. And uh, this book was interesting. It was it was recommended to me, and I'm like, ah, all right. It wasn't an indie author, so I started reading it. And it's about there's a there's an earthquake on Mount Ararat in Turkey, uncovers a cave, and uh, rumors of perhaps something odd in there. A bunch of skeptics go up there with some Turkish guides who and some religious folks, and they find a boat which could very well be Noah's Ark. Uh, except for the fact maybe it's not Noah's Ark. I would compare this to, it's a haunted house, although it's more of a haunted boat, a haunted house possession uh, version of the thing, if that makes any sense. There's a lot going into it. Um, yeah. It sounds and, impressive. And, and, yeah. and I will say this, the first two acts are good. 
it's that third act that really he does a great job with uh because it is a set the whole third last maybe yeah i don't know why i didn't read it i I said it it really my bad he's able to encompass the action in a it's just one set piece he's able to do it so well uh I started listening to the audiobook. I didn't like the narrator, which kind of ruins an audiobook. So I went straight to, I just picked it up from the library and I read her up from the, from the Libby app. And I read it on my tablet. Uh, so yeah, Air Rat by Christopher Golden. I'll definitely read more by him. I have his newer books on my list, but I think I will probably read the two sequels too, because it does sort of have not a, not a sequel as much as a, uh, a shared character, I guess, who goes through, the next couple i don't know i'm not sure how you could make a direct sequel to this although you could also say hey how could you have made a sequel to you know the keep and yet f paul wilson did you know the Six, there are five of them yeah there are five of them and they're great right so i mean technically that there's, thing. there's also 15 repair well that's correct that you could go with the repair more Jack that exist in the same universe yeah and i sense that that's kind of what he's doing a little bit with this character one of the characters in this book uh, which I really, really liked. I would have, com- I would compare this to a Repairman Jack esque introduction to a, a certain character. But I would definitely recommend Air Rat. I thought it was a lot of fun. Quick read, a lot of fun. All right. So my number eight is the one writer who is who has a screenplay on my top ten and a novel on my top ten. Um, his the film that he wrote was my number ten of the year, which was. Uh, Kimmy directed by Steven Soderbergh but the script was written by David Kep and the novel is my number eight Aurora by David Kep um, and if you have noticed I, I only for my top 10 do uh, 2022 releases if I were to do a top 10 list of my reads like for me personally a lot of them would be retro reads over like the modern ones but that's just a side note there um so Aurora by David Kep. Um, now, if you don't know who David Kep is, he's written Jurassic Park and Spider-Man and a bunch of the, 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 the highest grossing movies of all time, Spielberg's War of the Worlds. But when he writes and directs for himself, he makes really fantastic films like Stir of Echoes. Um, I think his script for Panic Room is really more in, in the vein of, of what we've got here. So... Aurora is a book about um, an Aurora event that causes all power to shut out. Now, his first movie, Trigger Effect, with Kyle MacLachlan and Elizabeth Shue kind of did an L.A. version of this. That that book was about a power outage in L.A. So he's explored this before. But um, this is kind of like it takes place after all the power has gone out throughout most of the country. And it kind of takes place in that time like remember had the people that thought you know hey the hurricane katrina passed and we're safe now right it kind of takes place in that window like they the power went out and we got through the first couple of days and it seems like it's okay um this is not the best story that kept's ever told or the best story on the list um kept is a writer's writer um, in a lot of ways and what I really like is what he does what he does with subtle writing techniques to build the characters to build tension and suspense and it's not the greatest story but what 
I really liked about it was how impressive some of the tiny moments of writing was. And Kep has mostly been a screenwriter. He's only written two novels. Back he wrote Cold Storage, which is a really good horror novel. Um, and then Aurora. And uh it yeah, I just I'm just excited to see him write novels and I want to see him write more. Um, and I hope he goes darker. Um, this one's not as dark as Cold Storage. Cold Storage was like kind of in Dramada strain and thing-ish together. And you'd probably like Cold Storage better, uh, Mark, but I liked Aurora a lot. So that's my number eight, Aurora by David Kep. All right. My number seven, I have it here, is, and again, unlike you, I just read everything. I don't necessarily just, my top ten will go is relatively recent. This was actually a, probably the oldest one on my top 10, 2006 novel, uh, which is Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. I don't know if oh, you've read great, this or not. Great, great, great Halloween Great, read. great book. Reminded me a lot of Bradbury, right? It was just written with that, hey, small town, great read. I hadn't read this before. A lot of people told me, just read it. You'll, you'll really dig it. I read I it in one sitting. it's going to be a movie soon. I think is it? Adapted. I could... I could see it. Hopefully they don't screw it up because honestly, the script is right here, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's one of those books. Um, like you, I think, and there's another book on my list, which I feel this way. I know I listened to you last week on your movie podcast or two weeks ago. You talked about, uh, you know, you know uh, Jordan Peele and the one screw up thing he's done is not hiring genre writers for the Twilight Zone. This would make a great Twilight Zone. This would make a great Cabinet of Curiosities episode, if done right. It would be a great movie if done right, uh, but a great Halloween read. The premise is it's in the in the sixties, a small town, and, and you're kind of just thrown in, and it's almost a little folk horish as well. The town has a tradition where all the boys who are coming of age go out and they try to hunt uh, this guy called. Uh, the October boy, who is basically on this picture. He's a guy with a pumpkin head. He comes out of, he is almost summoned out of the ground. And if they kill October boy, they get to leave the town. That's like their prize. If they don't kill October boy, bad things happen to the town. The harvest will go bad. A bunch of bad stuff will happen. So the town has sort of made it this game. Um, It was just a really fun read. I mean, it really was. Well, the interesting uh, thing about Partridge, he was a great writer. He had some really great short stories, but he's one of those writers like T.E.D. Klein, where we get precious few because he very, didn't, yeah. yeah, he didn't take being a professional writer as like his, you know, main thing, you know, I think I, I you know, um, uh, homie of the podcast, Cody Goodfellow is, is a huge Norman Partridge fan. And I think he knows Norman, but um yeah, but, basically says Norman Partridge lives in California. That's the about the author section of the book. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in California. Okay. Yeah, he didn't really uh, like, he's not one of those authors who went and tried to pursue writing a novel every year. Or, you know, it's like. He wrote a Crow novel too, I think. He did. Uh, and it was, it's one of the few tie-ins that ever got adapted into an actual movie. Really? Um, although they didn't do, they, it wasn't as faithful it wasn't faithful, but they used his concept. It's great. I, it's like pretty much the only time I've ever heard of a tie-in novel actually getting like turned into, uh, you know, something in a franchise. 
No, it was it was a great book. I was I actually I think I might have read this on Halloween because I was like, all right, Halloween read. Let's read it on Halloween. And yeah, perfect book. time. All right, my number seven uh, was uh, the author was on the podcast to talk about this book, and that is The Last Storm by Tim Levin. Um, Tim Levin wrote one of my favorite horror novels of the last decade in The Silence. I'm not a fan of the adaptation on Netflix. The movie is far superior. Um, and a lot of people think The Silence is sort of a ripoff of uh, Quiet Box, Pl- but or I'm sorry, Quiet Place, but it's really not. I it's, mean, it came first and it's yeah. very, yeah. And by the way, The Quiet Place, because I had read The Silence beforehand when I saw the trailer for A Quiet Place, um, before they said the name of the movie, I said, when did they cast Emily Blunt in The Silence? Because I, I knew that The Silence was getting made and Stanley Tucci was in it, but I was like, when did they get Emily Blunt? That's crazy. And then when it said A Quiet Place, like my, I was like, What? because it's so similar um uh okay the last storm is a post-apocalyptic fly-fi novel and it's like imagine the way i would you know this meets this is maybe the closest example would be like the fire starter meets the road (laughs) um so it's a post-apocalyptic um novel and there are these um gifted people who can make water like magic who can bring rain and storms and you can imagine like what that power would make for somebody surviving in a cli-fi future right like what that would mean for their lives and it's um it's a really the dynamic of the rainmakers and the allegory that they represent in the drought stricken future is like the heart of the story and it's I think this is going to go under the radar for how good it is. And, you know, Tim's masterpiece to me still will be the silence. But um, but man, this is like a much better book than the attention it got. So I really hope people go out and check out The Last Storm. It's um, yeah, the Firestarter meets the road. I don't know what else to say about it, but uh, Tim came on the podcast twice this year. He was also on the Who Goes There episode with Brian Keane and Mary San Giovanni for the 30s sci-fi episode. And um, I just think Tim is uh, such a, a, a great and talented writer. And um, I hope this book doesn't get lost. Uh, Last Storm by Tim Levin, number seven. All right. My number six, I'm already angry about. They're making it into a movie. I don't know why it got around. It took a long time to get around to reading this. I'm already pissed about the movie because, of course, they changed the name to the stupidest name in the world. And that's Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. Uh, the stupidest name in the world is Knock at the Cabin, by the way. If you don't, well, I don't know how you feel. There's a reason for it, right? And you could go ahead and explain the reason. A bad reason, a very nasty It's a terrible reason. reason. But go ahead, please explain the reason, and then I'll get into the book. Well, listen, I don't have any proof on this, but it, but M. Night Shyamalan is adapting the amazing Cabin at the End of the World. It's an incredible book by Paul Tremblay. Now, what I think is happening is M. Night Shyamalan has had a lot of disastrous films over the last couple of years, and his reputation as a writer has taken a huge hit. And one of the I th- things... I think he's gotten a little bit bad after... Not old was okay... I think the visit 
kind of got him back on track. I liked Split, Glass. Eh. Split but, and The Visit were okay. But see, I hate found footage, so The Visit I had a hard time with. But, um, well, regardless, he's gotten this reputation as, like, his reputation was that he wrote these intense horror novels that had that were character driven that had a great twist right so cabin at the end of the world is like everything he would want to write right so it's a perfect m night Shyamalan movie i'm not sure there's a twist at cabin at the end of the world but again yeah i don't know uh well, it is a perfect m night Shyamalan story correct without a right. doubt and so what it seems like M. Night Shyamalan is doing is, and this is a big note to writers, when you sell the rights to your book, make sure in your contract that they have to put in the promotional materials that it's based on a novel by, because what I think M. Night Shyamalan is trying to do is ice out Paul Tremblay in the novel to make people think that he wrote this. And so like the trailers and the posters will say, screenplay by m night Shyamalan, and screen story by because there was a draft that he did with somebody else and nowhere on it does it say based on a novel by paul tremblay i now, think i saw something that did say that eventually though it, it does eventually eventually it gets out but it's very minimalized and i think the only reason he changed the title is if he had the title cabin at the end of the world and not this dumb title People could immediately Google Cabin at the End of the World and the novel would come up, right? So he changes the title. It's all part of the strategy to make people think this is his original idea. It's shady so, as fuck. So I heard something different about the the way, why it's named differently. Okay, and, so and maybe you, it's, I'm, I'm only guessing. This so. is what I had heard. This, this, because I read the book and then it's funny. I read the book and then I see a preview for a movie and I'm like, holy crap. That's just... And the casting looks great. Dave yeah. Batista's Leonard. I mean, honestly, the cast, Rupert Grint, the casting looks great. And we'll get into it the book like here the in a second. It looks yeah, like the book. It looks like the It looks like the book. And I pray to God they don't change the end. Because some people really hate the end of this book. I think the end is perfect the way yeah, it me is. me too. I loved it. Um, yeah. uh, but anyway, I heard that when they wrote this this script, when it first came out, was really in high demand. It won all kinds of uh, awards because of LBGTQ. Uh, it, it was really, it won all kinds of shortlist awards and it was really in high demand. Shyamalan picked it up, but didn't want anyone to know that he was making this. He kind of wanted to keep it under the radar for some reason. I don't know. That's what I heard. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't because he wanted people to think it was his. He just didn't want people to know that he was making this movie. And then, yeah. which is a little weird because the previews came out like six months before the movie came out. So yeah. I, I don't know. At one point, the studio takes over. I don't know what the well, story is I think that's it. bullshit because everything has his name all over the promotional material and sure. never has anything about Paul's novel. Sure. I think it is bullshit because, again, that's the stupidest name in the world. Knock at the cabin. The cabin at the end of the world is a great title especially for this book the premise is this right and and honestly this is in my opinion my favorite paul tremblay book that i've read so far i think it i think it puts head full of ghosts out to pasture i know head full of ghosts is great but uh it does premise is this uh two uh 
to Survivor Song is part- incredible though. It is really good. Which I have not read yet, but you've told me to read. I've had uh it's got, you know, two life partners and their daughter uh go and are spending a holiday at a cabin when some strangers show up at a cabin. And if you see the preview, the preview is very accurate because the book starts this way. It seems like an invasion movie. And they show up and the latest preview actually kind of gives a little bit more away. Too uh, much away, if you ask me. Too much away this last preview. But they say, hey, you know what? We're here because of our faith. Something, not necessarily that they're religious, but they're saying we have taken a message that's been given to us on faith and that's why we're here. And yeah, there's some rough shit that's going to have to go down and you're going to have to be a part of it. And it's either going to be you or the entire existence of mankind. Without giving more than that away, that's what it is. But you're going to have to make the choice. And it really is sort of this really endearing story about how how faithful do you are you and at what point do the skepticism you know I, I can't say it's an anti-religious movie because it's absolutely not nor can i say it's it's a religious movie because i don't think it is either it really is about he's talking about a movie pers- book book or i'm sorry i'm sorry a book a book because i haven't seen the movie hopefully they stick to it it really is a question. It's a it's a book about faith. It, it, it's almost like, yeah. At what point do you follow your own beliefs as hard as you can? And is that good or is that bad? And are, is your attitude well? Consequences be damned. This the book was fan freaking tastic. Read the book before this movie comes out. I'll still see the movie. I think the movie looks very faithful to the book. Every clip I've seen, I can go. That is exactly from the book. That I know that scene in the book, except this last trailer, which made me go, "Okay, they're screwing a little bit with the book." Uh, yeah. I have avoided trailers. I just want to go in and see the movie. Yeah, the movie. this last trailer, which I saw sort of by accident, uh, which I, you know, I just didn't turn my head because I had read the book already. I went, "All right, now I'm seeing something that wasn't in the book. I don't know if that's good or bad. I hope they stick the landing on this movie." Well, the and, book and, was and the thing is. I read it when it came out, so um, and uh, I went to uh, Paul did a signing here at Mysterious Galaxies on the release of it, and I read it like the like right after after that, and um, so it's old enough in my head that I, I won't remember it exactly. So I might actually have to read it again before I see the quick. I flew through this book, yeah. Quick. Quick read, great book. I, I read it in one sitting um, on a flight back to Indiana. So, like, Paul did the reading, and it was like two days later. I was flying home to Indiana, and then um, uh, I sat on the plane and I read it all between here and Chicago. So, I will say this about the movie and not the book. Again, I think the casting is good. I think David Batista is good. I think David Batista is really turning into a great genre actor between his work in Blade Runner. Uh, and I just think he's got a great look, and and I think he comes out great in this. The way he plays this, it looks like he's going to play this character. But Cabin at the End of the World, that's my number six. Read that book if you have not read it. All right, I'm not going to go super long on my number six, but um, my number six is um, Insomnia by Sarah Pimbro. Um, Pimbro is one of my favorite writers who I will follow her to any genre. 
wherever she goes and even though she doesn't write horror like she used to she writes mostly um uh kind of women's thrillers kind of like gone girl type stuff uh this novel is a horror novel it's not marketed as a horror novel it's marketed in the kind of gone girl women's thriller thing but it's really a horror novel and what uh sarah is doing really really well right now is writing very subtle feminist horror thriller stuff where she's dealing with not like fist in the air riot girl feminist issues but like day-to-day women's issues and how she does like she writes about the day-to-day death of a thousand cuts of patriarchy in a really cool way and um insomnia is a paranoid horror piece where the monster is this woman's upcoming birthday um is it as good look is it as good as behind her eyes i thought that was a great book although marketed again very differently than what it was well behind her eyes is a very kind of special thing because it's 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 special all right yeah (laughs) um it's kind of on its own thing um this it this the way the birthday interacts with the trauma and like it's almost like the shark being off screen in jaws it's really really wait do they make the birthday like a character sort of a thing or should i just read this book i mean it seems odd it sounds like a dread that's coming her way it's a it's a book very much about dread uh i'm i'm giving an allegory here like the shark that but there's a way where this woman's life unravels when the birthday is coming up and there's parts where you just want to scream at the characters and like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, um, and it wouldn't work if she wasn't just, this is some high level writing. Okay. It may not be everyone's favorite story that Sarah ever writes, but the trick of pulling this off as a novel and making all the things work are really high level writing i had sarah on the podcast to talk about this book i'm really proud of that conversation so it's another one that i think that if you go and you listen to what she was doing she was also i think writing the screenplay for this at the same time um as either a film or a tv series so she had some really complicated challenges and how in the real world of writing this so um it's really impressive feat of writing like, you're saying like, this is this is straight horror. You would say this is horror, or is this you and I love to expand the definition of horror? Absolutely. Yeah. Is this you straight and I in the horror this, category? Or? You and I would consider this horror. My old okay. editor at Dead Eye Press, Jeff Burke, would not consider this horror um, because he has like that. He's the guy I would always argue with. On his, he has this box he wants to put horror in, um, and uh, in fact, we've. Jeff and I have threatened about doing a podcast called Is It Horror or Not? I think that's a great, I think that's a great podcast. Yeah. Uh, I have too many podcasts to do already. Um, And he has a podcast too. uh, Do Your Own Podcast with Lucas Magnum. So um, Mark, your number five. My number five is a book you've told me to read for a very, 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 very long time. I got around to it last January, just so you know that I'm not Frequency biased or uh, recency biased, not frequency biased. Uh, this would be Immobility by Brian Evanson. Uh, yeah. Wow. I was not expecting this book. I really wasn't. Um, 
Is it horror? Yeah, it's horror. Is it sci-fi? Oh, yeah, it's sci-fi. Is it... I don't even know what else to call it. It was just so good. It's still probably not... I'd have to think if, if it's my favorite me, Evanston I, book. If I, if I ever... <laughs> Of all the books we're going to talk about today, there's probably not one that I didn't love more than this one. <laughs> this book, and the premise is pretty, the premise is, I mean, it's a, it, look, we're on a podcast. It's a mind fuck. There's no question at the end. Uh, yeah. But the premise of this book is a guy wakes up from being frozen. Uh, and they wake him up because he's got a job to do and he can't walk. So they give him two, two Sherpas, sort of, right? And you got to go to point A and do this and go get the MacGuffin or do whatever you got to do. And it's about him sort of figuring out what the hell happened to himself and why he's there and what's happened to the world and how just brutal it is. I still think. I would love to make a movie of immobility. I, I don't I would... know what that would be. You know what I want to see out of this? If someone were to make a movie, did you see the movie? Oh, what was the movie that just came out? Uh, spine of the was it spine of night it's a it might be on shutter i don't know where it is but it's sort of that animated i don't I, almost like heavy metal yeah i'd love to see a movie like that from this book so i always describe immobility as uh the road meets thx 1138 yeah um, it's not a pleasant it's not pleasant <laughs> um yeah, I think Brian's last such days a happy, still... smiley guy, but he like he's such a friendly guy, but he writes the most fucked up. I think shit. I think Last Days is still my favorite book by him. And I mentioned to you the book I want to read is actually the uh, 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 a that is unavailable is a de- is based on a video game called Dead Space. Well, that... his alien his alien tie in is great too. It's very noir. Yeah, it's um, it, this book that he wrote got incredible reviews. It's out of print, and I'm not paying like $250 for paperback. That's why I was like, ask him if he's if he's going to have this on digital at some point. Do something. But yeah, this book was, it, towards the end, you get a gut punch. It's emotional. You do get a gut punch out of it, but man, I, just read it. It's I don't want to tell any more about it. That's the pit. That's the elevator pitch. Guy wakes up in the future or in the past. You don't really know. And he's sent on a mission, and uh, yeah, there you, go. there you go. It's it's uh, Brian is the best short story writer on the planet, in my opinion, right now. Too. You say so. he's, a, you say he's a, a happy-go-lucky guy. I based on the books that I've read by him, his short stories, last <laughs> days in this book, this guy, in my opinion, falls asleep every night with a bottle in his hand because that's that's how he's writing these books. <laughs> No, and and again, I I have to pitch these episodes, but I've had Brian on the podcast to his last short story collection, which is the glassy burning floor of hell is the name of the book. Um, yeah, and, and what was the one about uh, that I really liked was the it was about horses, wasn't it? Uh, collapse of horses. Collapse of horses. I thought it was a great collection. Yeah, his story in there, uh, any corpse is my favorite Brian yeah. Evans story. Great, yeah. great story. Yeah, I think he's the best short story writer on the planet. And my next uh, is one of the other best short story short story writers on the planet and um, is a short story collection. Um, and listen, I have bias. Uh, this author, that's his painting on my wall. Uh, uh, 
not a print that's the actual painting um i've written a screenplay with him and he's one of my biggest mentors and uh best friends in the business and that's uh john shirley um and so you can take this with a great assault because uh i'm working i've here's a hot uh like uh i don't know i'm i'm giving away a breaking thing but one of my intentions over the next decade is to write a biography of john and i've already started doing interviews for it um i'm not i'm a long way from writing it because i got to finish my nonfiction pkd book and i have one other book i want to write before that of nonfiction. Uh, but anyways, John, my number five book is The Feverish Stars by John Shirley. It's his most recent short story collection. Um, John is still killing it uh, with short stories. Uh, there's a few Lovecraftian stories in there. There's a few science fiction stories. My favorite, there's one called Miga. There's one called Weed Killer and Waiting Room. Um, and then there's like a really great story that's written just for the collection called Exelda's Voice. John is still publishing wide and short stories. He's publishing short stories all the time. He just had one in Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. The best short story of his I read all year was in the, the, most, the 2002 issue of Startling Stories, which is The Lost City of Los Angeles, um, was the, his best story that I read this year. Um, and I did a review of that with, he did a Western this year called Axel Buffs Creek. And I reviewed all the latest short stories in the same review as that. So if you want to read those reviews, but um, Excelda's voice is a character driven story about a criminal who robs a bank with the help of a AI powered app that's supposed to help him help this character do the, the bank robbery. It's, it's a really funny and interesting story. Waiting room is uh, a story about being an old punk rocker. Uh, Weed Killer is about a character who lives completely online and what happens to their body. It's a really good good story. Feverish Stars is a great collection. John is always, always writing powerful stuff. Um, and he has he has sub uh, he has a suborbital seven on not a science fiction novel techno thriller coming out next year. Definitely tell people to look out for that, but um, don't miss the feverish stars. It's great. Uh, if you like John Shirley's short stories, it has everything that he's known for. So yeah, that's my number five. All right. So now we're at top four. I have this book. Cause I just, this book is experimental film by Gemma files. I don't know I if you've ever heard of this. I want to read that. And I just have never gotten around to it. If you don't have a copy, I could just send you this one to be honest with you. You and I love movies. So when yeah. I heard about this book, I was like, it's going on my to, to read. And I love folk horror. And again, getting back into this, and what this book is about, it's about a uh, a woman who's a film teacher in Canada, and she comes across... She comes across someone, and she goes and reviews films for an independent magazine, and she comes across this film that this guy who's got the reputation for ripping off other people's work and actually taking old films and putting it in his experimental films or new films. And she comes across this and she sees a clip in one of his new films. And it's just this really weird, surreal clip. So she starts doing some investigation and it turns out this clip that he found that he used in his film was from 
potentially one of Canada's first female filmmakers back in uh, 1918. And this woman in 1918 had, and this is just sort of the setup, had a terrible life, but almost everything she produced, film-wise and or art-wise and or literature-wise, revolved around a a folklorish tale about Lady Midday. And if you're not familiar with Lady Midday, Lady Midday is an actual folk tale from Eastern Europe where a woman would come to a laborer in the in the working in the fields and she'd basically ask, Are you, you content with what you're doing? And if they answer and she'd talk to them. And if they answered the questions wrong, she'd pull out either her sickle or a pair of shears, slice their heads off. This book and just, I don't know how to explain what this book does from that point because it becomes a, a book of obsession, of haunting, of a curse, maybe. Uh, definitely a book to read. I'm trying to think about another book that it's like. Um, it's almost like once she's exposed to, exposed to it, she's sort of becomes obsessed with it in a way it definitely has supernatural elements um great book check it out experimental film gemma files i don't know what else she's written that i that i, I mean i don't recall she does a lot else. of film criticism online and it's her her, her writing about movies is great so, yeah this yeah. this is a great 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 book my only and, my only interaction with her was to talk about how much we love millennium the tv show like which was a great book right? which yeah. is a great show right yeah yeah right we'll never uh, again my favorite episode is with the cult that is always optimistic about things don't jump you'll never make it not with that attitude i won't and my <laughs> copy of course has the very special uh notes at the back which when i got sick in norway and i almost had to try to reschedule my flight home i had to got sick like an hour before my flight. For some reason, I had this book with me, so I wrote all the notes about possibly getting new flights. So if you ever, if I do send this to you, you're going to see those notes. I will anyway, accept that book in the mail. Yeah, she, I, I'm sure I have your email. I'm sure I have your address somewhere, or just send me your address. I really will send it to you. Uh, great book, experimental film. There you go, Gemma Files. Okay, my number four is Nor by Nettie Akorafor. Um. And Nettie Akorafor, have you ever read any of her work? Uh, I have not. I do have uh, a couple things, I think, on my to-read list, yeah. sort of in my library. Yeah, I think uh, you would like Who Fears Death. Um, but, uh, or I, for science fiction, the Binti uh, novellas are really, really- The cool. Binti novellas are what I have on yeah. uh, on there. Yeah, so um, so one of the strengths of African futurism, which and um, I Nettie like really corrected me when I, I called it Afrofuturism, and she wanted me to point out. She wrote me back on Twitter and said, "I write African futurism, not Afrofuturism." Um, and the difference is is that her stories very much take place in Africa and are based on African culture. Um, she's a Nigerian American, uh, teaches here. I think she, she's in Chicago. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but nor is a deeply rich work of science fiction. Um, and it's about kind of transhumanism and it takes place in kind of a, in a near future Africa. 
and it's about two characters that are kind of on the run for their lives. I don't want to say too much more about it. Um, it's a very African novel. It's short. And to me, it's her best novel. Um, and there's, there's some really deep things going on. And I had a really great exchange with her uh, on Twitter where she thanked me for, for getting it <laughs> in, in a way. And, 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 and it's not to pat myself too hard on the back, but I think there's some really rich things going on that she was afraid a lot of people were missing uh, of this book. So, and incidentally, um, my number four and number three are both Nigerian American science fiction authors. Um, but, uh, and I, this is just, a, it's, it's her best work. Although I love, I like the, the Binti books and I read who fears death when I don't think I was in a place to get it. Um, so I need to go back and reread that because I think I didn't like it, but at the time I, I wasn't as sophisticated of a reader as I am now. It was when it first came out and, I what's think would... okay give me because again binti's on my list but what's what's nor what's the what's again elevator pitch me on it um it's about two genetically enhanced people in near future africa that um steal something and it's kind of a road chase story set in near future africa with transhuman characters so all right and um, I mean, to say anything more would kind of give away things I wouldn't want to give away. But um, and it's that struggle to what is human? What makes me human? Am I even human anymore? <laughs> kind of thing of this near future thing. Of course, I read it. This was early in the year. Um, I had a stretch where I read um, my books, two, three four and two of my honorable mentions like all in april and um so april was like my best reading month of the year um because the next two on the list were, came from there too all right so, your number three my number three some people like this book some people don't i think it gets a lot of online love uh i he's got a new book out i'll read it uh you know what? It just scratched an itch for me I really liked, and that's Pen Pal by uh, Dathan Arbach. I don't know if you've... I'm sure you've heard of Pen Pal. Nope. Never even heard of it? Never even heard this of was, it. This was a creepy pasta. This is why people are kind of crazy. It was a creepy pasta story he published online on Reddit. I will send you this book, too. Uh, it's a really quick read. You can get a couple books out of this. It's <laughs> it's and even he talks about it. It's a, it's written from the point of view is of this character being an adult, and he even says, "Look, I'm writing this from memory. Some of these things may conflict as you read this story. Some of them might not make sense, but this is my memory after talking it out with people recently." So he talks to his mom basically, and he gets the story behind what what tend to be like four short stories. Uh, and it starts when he's a kid, and uh, simple premise is he's a kid who kind of lives alone. He, he doesn't have a lot of friends, has one good friend growing up. He goes to school, grammar school, and they do a project where, you know, you, you put a note in a balloon and you let it go, and it floats away. And, and then whoever gets it is supposed to send the note back, and then you map it on in a page as to where they are. The instructions are send a picture 
of wherever you found this balloon back to the school school project. So he gets a picture back that of that makes no sense. It's just a picture of like a street, and he's like, "All right, whatever." And then he gets another picture back and another picture back, and eventually they realize these are all pictures of him, and someone is now stalking him. And that's all I'm going to say. And that's only the very tiny bit of the beginning of it. I I love this book. It was a quick read. It's very punchy. Uh, the end I thought was super freaking grim, uh, but but horrific. Uh, and anyone I've given it to is like, oh man, that was just a lot of fun to read. So Pen Pal is my number three. He's got a new book out called Bad Men, which I think it's called Bad Men, which I'll read uh, if it's anything like this book written like it. Very easy read. A lot of people don't like it. Who don't like it? Don't like it because of the style. But they they all kind of like the story, because again, it's it's almost like a coming of age, super creepy story right, uh, that doesn't you know. We're at the two hour mark, so I'm going to try to get us. That's fine. Bit. Even though we're at the top books, which is the worst time to go quicker. Um, That's fine. Uh, number three, it for me is Goliath by Tochi Anye Bucci. I think. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I generally don't, so that would be terrible. If you try to make me give you an elevator pitch of this one, I'm going to have a real hard time. Um, what, what, and I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. One of the things I don't like about modern science fiction, compared as a guy who loves new wave 60s science fiction, is that I think the modern sci-fi is a little too safe, and they don't take risks and they're not they're it's a little soft gentle and politically sensitive from time to time this book is not not soft it's not gentle and it's not politically sensitive at all and um from my perspective that's a divergence from what's going on with modern fiction in general like um it's it's a very you know, everyone's very worried about offending people like all the time. And what's weird about this book is it's pushing boundaries all over the place. Um, and so the interest, the reaction, because it's a progressive story in a sense, but this is a post climate science fiction novel that envisions like a world where the wealthy have escaped earth to orbital colonies and it's about the marginalized struggle of people at home. So wait, there's my elevator pitch. There you go. There you go. That's that's perfect. And this novel is about the intersection between racism, classism, climate change. Um, it's I would compare it to a modern take on Stand on Zanzibar, John Bruner's, which I think is the greatest science fiction novel of the 20th century. It's not as long and epic as, uh, you know, no one's, no one's publishing 500 page books anymore if they can avoid it. Um, it's just not a thing anymore. And um, so from written by uh, a Nigerian American um, with a really cool he wrote, he, he wrote Riot Baby, right? That's a book yeah. that I've been wanting to read for a while. Yes. And I haven't read Riot Baby yet. It's on my list um, based on Goliath um, may have been yeah this is a really great book this is a really great science fiction book and it could easily have been number one on this list 
um, as all three of the top ones could have been. So yeah, Goliath by Tochi Anya Bucci. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Um, and he and I traded a few emails, but just couldn't get the timing right to get on, on the uh, podcast. But um, yeah, really great book. And um, yeah, I put a lot of work into that review. Uh, my, you're number two. My top two books, honestly, either one could be number one. One is a is an author I just discovered. Uh, he has quite a few books out from what I understand, though, and I've already got a couple other books by him. Uh, on my and I just bought his new book, which is called, I think it's The Guests. I'm not 100 percent. It just came out though. This guy, when we talked about, you need to get genre authors to write a Twilight Zone, to write Twilight Zone episodes or anthology episodes. This book would be fantastic, and that is called Sour Candy by uh, Keelan Patrick Burke. I don't know if you've ever heard of this author. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have some of his work. And um... Man, this book, by the way, literally, I don't know. Uh, an he hour uh, read. designs a lot of book covers now. <laughs> like, what well, I... that book cover's awesome. Uh, an hour read, this book would easily be a great Cabinet of Curiosities if it were turned directly into a screenplay. Premise of this is a guy is hanging out with his girlfriend. She wants some candy. He goes to Walmart. When he's in a Walmart, he sees this disheveled woman who is just a mess, almost looks homeless, and her child. The child is not a mess, but he just starts screaming. The child starts screaming and throwing a tantrum. So this guy's like, GTFO, let's leave. But when he gets home, it turns out uh, the child's living at his house. And it just goes from there. And the child's like, yeah, I'm your kid. What are you talking about? And uh, it, it goes places I didn't expect it to go. A lot of fun. It's not the last book I will read by this guy. Uh, just a, a just a fun, you know, you just want to read a quick book. His book. Many of his books are bigger. This one I thought was great. Hit the sweet spot again. Sour Candy. There you I go. have his novel Ken on the shelf. I just never. That's read. that's on my. That is actually probably on my next to read book. I, well, maybe not. I've got a couple other books on next to read before that. But it, it, Ken is on the shelf. And after I read this book, I looked into it. I read the pitch on the back of Ken, and I was like, I'm all in. That sounds great. Yeah, I have Ken on the shelf. I just haven't read it. All right. So my number two is. Um, this is one of those books that gets marketed as mainstream literary fiction, but it's actually science fiction. Uh, much like the book that it's going to get compared to a lot because it, it has the exact same structure as David Mitchell's The Cloud Atlas. Have you read Cloud Atlas or seen the movie? Uh, I, I I read it whenever it came out. I never saw the movie because it's one of those books you're like, they can't make a movie out of this. Uh, they did, so I, and and by the way, I, I know they did. I'm not sure. No, I think it's the Wachowski's best movie, actually. Really? Yeah, better than um, Speed Racer because I actually like Speed Racer. Um, well, I didn't like Speed Racer, but um, I think it's their best non The Matrix movie. The it's the best besides that one. Um, so they were able to capture the the book, really? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this book is all over the place. That yes, book is. and much like this book, my number two. Because it's very Cloud Atlas in the, the sense that it's a short story collection that weaves together as a novel. Um, and 
it's funny because you this is like the perfect 2020 book to come out in 2020 um or to be written in 2020 because um there's a pandemic that's like kind of woven through the whole thing and like the the first short story in it is about an amusement park for euthanizing children where it's like you're gonna have a great time and at the end of this ride you'll be dead but you have a disease and you have no chance of surviving so like we've designed this whole amusement park this book i haven't said the name of the book the book is how high we go in the dark by sequoia nagamatsu who is a um minneapolis or twin cities author and um It's very similar in structure to the Bone Clocks or to Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. It's there's a Station Eleven thing going, kind of going on too. Um, there's six stories that kind of all weave together in the end, and they get progressively more science fiction as they go, just like Cloud Atlas. Um, it's not an original thing to be doing by any stretch of the imagination, but he pulls it off really well. I would say this is my number two book, even though one of the short stories pissed me off and I hated. And the rest were so good that it made up for the one that I thought was terrible. And I've Um, known you long enough, 30 years now, that when you get pissed off about something, you usually throw it against the wall and then it taints everything else about that subject. So that's that's saying something about the highs of the other stories is what I'm saying. Yeah. And if you read, you'll know immediately like, Oh, this, this really bothered David. Um, Yeah. One of the stories like straight up bothered me. Um, And, but at the same time, I will give the author credit that if he bothered me, he made me feel something. Yep. Um, uh, and it gets, you know, the funny thing is, is I can talk myself out of the number two position with this book in part because it is so, is so derivative of cloud Atlas and its structure. And even the fact that it gets progressively more science fiction, but the actual writing of the stories is so good. And that first novella about the amusement park. And then the last one are so good that it's it got to my number two position it was like i just really had a great experience reading this book and um had absolutely zero luck getting the author on the podcast even though i could have called in the favor of i have a friend of a friend a guy i grew up with is friends with him in minnesota (laughs) and i didn't pull that card but i I tried to get him on the podcast and i had no luck huh my number one i got on the podcast but (laughs) So, uh, Mark, your number, your number one. All right. This could have been a retro read. It's 20 years old, but it's set on my shelf forever. I never read it. I don't know why I never read it. And then I read it and then it became my number one. And that is in the miso soup by Ryu, uh, Marikami. Ryu Marikami wrote audition, which okay. was made into a movie by, uh, Takeshi, uh, Mike and uh this book uh <laughs> it's about an American well first of all it's about a Japanese guy living in Tokyo and what he does is he gives tours of basically the red light district in Tokyo I don't know if you've ever heard of this book or not I um, have not no I haven't and he gives all. he gives tours of the red light district in Tokyo to foreigners who come by who are looking for a good time so it's got a little seediness there 
and he meets this guy named Frank. He's an American guy who hires him lots of money. And Frank's like, hey, I want you to show me around. Do I mean, it's he's this enduring guy. And at the same time, these murderers are happening in this area. And he starts to suspect maybe Frank, is Frank a serial killer? Is he a murderer? I think they're making this into a movie. I think they are. And last I heard, Willem Dafoe was going to be was going to play the Frank character. I don't know how I feel about that because I picture Frank being this bald, overweight, sort of goofy, happy-go-lucky guy. I don't know why that's how I picture him. So they're going to Americanize it? No, 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 no. Well, Frank is an American character. In Japan. In Japan. And that's important because this book is, in many ways, is a criticism of Americans. It's a criticism of how Americans view Japanese culture, but it's also just a freaking brutal book. Um, uh, yeah, I think I need horror- to read that. If you're talking about, you know, what is horror, this is horror in my opinion. Absolute horror. Um, awesome. And it, but it's not in your box horror. This is a, uh, it goes from zero to like a thousand at one point. And I, yeah, it's, my number one book in the miso soup. Don't let it sit on your bookshelf for like ten years, which is what I basically did. Read it now. I will send this to you as well, David, uh, because everyone I've given it to is done with it. So it'll be coming <laughs> your way. It's a great book. All right. So um, I'm gonna dance around my number one for a little bit, just a little, little wee bit. Ursula Le Guin and Norman Spinrad are both known as as like anarchist science fiction authors and for kind of writing about anarchist themes in science fiction. Um, This book will not be, um, I I think I might be the only person who reviewed this book and focused on some of the kind of anarchist ideals. The author is by no means like uh, an anarchist thinker but comes at it from a, a Afrofuturist um, perspective and like kind of a non-Western point of view. This author is, in a sense, your neighbor from Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm super pissed because I was so excited to read this book this year and I never got to this book this year because I focused on independent horror and not science fiction. And this book, I already knew that this book was on your list somewhere. I knew it was because you and I talked about how excited you were to read this book. Okay, so uh, for for YouTube viewers, we'll get the preview first. It's the only one I pulled aside. And that is The Sweep of Stars by Maurice Broadus. Um, I freaking loved this book. I knew I was going to love it when I heard the concept. And because I trust Maurice as a writer, he's an incredible writer. Um and he's been on a tear. His uh, Voice of Martyrs short story collection um, is incredible. Um, Aren't they making his his uh, what would they be? What was it called? Like the Camelot books? Are they making that into a series or not? I had heard they were. No, I think you you're more likely to get this one as a series. But I think they're trying to develop it. But um, the thing is, I I can tell you the book probably needs to sell more. <laughs> Um, and, um, I'm doing what I can to promote it. Um, and you know, I really hope, hope it sells more. Um, one of the things I like about it is that, uh, Maurice keeps it real. The characters feel real, real. They don't feel like 
you know, they feel like real people in a science fictional story. There's some shout outs to Indianapolis that has a, an important role in this future, which is all, all of his books do. Yeah. They all kind of shout out to Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the world building in this is really, really, really good. It's done subtle and perfectly. Um, it's everything's woven naturally into the story and it's, it's a powerful first book and you can see as a writer, you can see where he's setting up things for the future. And um, on every level, I think this book feels epic, grand, and the scope is incredible. And that's exactly what you want from an Afro futurist space opera. So the sweep of a sweep of stars, sweep of stars, Maurice brought us. That's my number one read of the year. Yeah, I've spoken. He wouldn't remember me, but I've spoken to Maurice several times when on his older books. When I saw this was coming out, I was super excited. But then again, I decided to focus on a certain genre. I will get to it. It's definitely on my list. It was something I was excited about last year when he announced it. I yeah. thought it was. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Yeah, and being in Indianapolis, uh, I I heard MoCon might be coming back. You should go to MoCon. Which is where he basically opens his doors and invites anyone who wants to come to his house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, and, I can uh, do that. Yeah. 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 You should you just go to talk MoCon. about whatever. Yeah, you, you know, should he's, repre represent me and MoCon. He's a teacher, I think, and I would love to have a teacher like that. He just seems like a really – he is, when I've talked to him, a very down-to-earth person. Yeah, he's awesome. The first time I interviewed him, um, I just met him at Starbucks in Indianapolis when I was visiting my dad. And um, this last time was about Sweep of Stars. So yeah, Maurice is awesome. I love the dude in the book. Um, I had very high expectations for this book and it met all of them. And uh, so yeah, Sweep of Stars. By Let me one. ask you this, Dave, because we've done our top 10. What are you reading right now? I am reading The Word for World is Forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. It's my fourth book I've already read in the eight days of 2023. Wow. Four. I am just I am just finishing up my first. I am behind you. I had, uh, well, I read two short books. I read um uh hide I read a, a how to write science fiction books by David Gerald called World's of Wonder which was a really fast read, which is, uh, and I didn't really need it at this point, but it was fun to see what he had to say because I interviewed him recently. He was just on the podcast two episodes ago. And then um, Hyde uh, by Kirsten White, which is a horror novel. I, I, I respect things really good. And then, uh, but I didn't really like it. <laughs> I think it's well-written. I just didn't, didn't connect with it. And then this Ursula Le Guin one I'm reading because um, I was invited to be to talk about it on the Left Hand of Le Guin podcast. Um, so I'll be going on that podcast soon to talk about the world. Word for World is Forest, um, which, you know, was originally published in um, Dangerous Visions. Again, Dangerous Visions, edited by Harlan Ellison. And um, and that it all is, comes back to Harlan Ellison. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. But um but I will say this, my goals for this year, um, well, I got to read my homie Desmond Reddick's book, Mother of Abominations. I'm way late on reading that. Um, and 
other than that like my plans for the year is to read more retro again um and uh just as books come from the library i know uh paul tremblay's new one i didn't get in time the paul bears club that's definitely on my list and And i i have heard with that particular book because i had the opportunity to get it on audio and on digital that you want to read that in hard copy because of because the way there's some annotations in there that i've heard and i don't know why because i really have stayed away from the description but you need to read that in hard copy because there's like handwritten annotations in the book i guess i don't know but it looks cool um, so big one that's coming soon for me is going to be anybody home the home invasion novel by michael uh seidlinger who's like a clash mates um label mate basically (laughs) um you know we're uh, another clash books uh the future is female is a big one that i got on the way um and then let's see i got a lot of non-fiction books uh the terraformers by anna louis newitz is on my list to read soon in the mountain in the sea which i really i heard was like the best science fiction novel like one of the best science fiction novels of 2022 i never got to and of course, I got to read the new Cormac McCarthy books eventually were ones that I meant to read this year and didn't get around to. So I'm finishing up this one now, Stolen Tongues by Felix Blackwell. Still going on with my sort of indie reads. I thought this is a really creepy book, especially when I started reading it at the... I started reading it like at the very end of my Norway trip, so it takes place in a very snow-covered area. Uh, I am looking forward to reading this book. Check this out. I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to that. That's, uh, yeah, that's on my to-read list as well as a million other books. Uh, Brother by... Well, see, I think you know the author, so you might want to bump I do. that one up. I do. I'll, I'll have to get this one going. Uh, hopefully I like it and it's not crap. Um, I don't think it's going to be crap. Maybe. Uh, I, I, don't know. I guarantee Look, there are two you. authors, so maybe only half of it will be crap. I don't know. Uh, I'm looking forward to Last Night to Kill Nazis. I'm really looking forward to that book because when you told me the pitch for that book i was all in because why not why why not uh (laughs) that's what i would do i mean that's Um, what you would do uh i think writing wise um uh i think nightmare city is more up your alley um actually as far as i mean last night to kill nazis is i feel very confident in the writing of that one that um that that is a tighter book than anything i've ever written so um and we just got done with the editing process on it and um i it's i didn't get as much editing as usual on last night partially because i think it was so tight but also because um well it's funny because when christoph gave me notes they were really good and so um it's it's our second book together and i feel really confident about our working relationships as author and editor that um that book is tight as a um snare drum uh i've got uh what else is on my list i've got i bought a or i got it for for a gift for Annika. i got a a whole set of james herbert books so i'm gonna read the fog the rats books i've never read before by him um i'm reading a couple old sort of books that grady hendrix due to the paperbacks from hell the auctioneer i'm gonna read nightblood 
Ghoul by Brian Keene is on my list to read. Man, I've got a bunch of stuff. Nothing But Black and Teeth is on my list. Book of Accidents is on my list. I still haven't picked up Book of Accidents yet. Blindsight is still on my list to read. I, uh, Which, you know, I know you regard that as a very good book, too. Uh, so I got a lot of stuff to read. Uh, I'll probably, towards the middle of the year, move back into some science fiction, hopefully. Uh, I'm just on a horror kick right now. Well, uh, you, can, you can transition there with Nightmare City because it's both. So. I, well, I could, I was planning on reading this sooner than later. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we are. Yeah, I feel fair, fairly confident in that one. So In Nightmare City? Next it in looks the great. Next two, the next two I feel fairly confident in. And, uh, um, and, and plus you'd like Anthony's writing style better than you'd like mine. So well, and when I'm done reading, when I'm done reading it, I will probably quiz you on how you co-wrote a book. Cause I, that is always a curious. Well, we talked about it in the preview episode, actually. That's so... all, which I did not listen to because I didn't want to preview, uh, which is always kind of interesting to me how people co-write books. Some people write a chapter, send it to their partner. They rewrite it, blah, 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 blah. But well, I'm always wait curious. Till, wait till you read it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and and um, you'll definitely like Anthony's work, and I think the third voice that we found for it, um, because it doesn't Nightmare City doesn't read like a David book, and it doesn't read like an Anthony book. It's we definitely found a third voice that I appreciate. Um, and uh, you can see bits and pieces of both of us throughout the book. Um, but it's it's definitely a third voice. On that note, oh. hey, that's a great way to end the podcast is promoting my book, which, you know, maybe on your top 10 list next year if I if I did my work well enough, if I worked hard it may enough. Be, it may be, but I probably won't put it there because it's a bias. I'll just tell people to buy it. Hey, now. It right. might make, well, look, I'll be honest, if it's on my top 10 list, look, there are books that I talked to you about this year that I was like, dude, why do people like this book? This book is terrible. Or I've been on it. I've been and and we didn't talk about negative books. That's a podcast for a different day. There are books out there that people are like, "This is a great book," and I'm like, "This book was just terrible." Uh, I don't know. I but I'm not trying to focus on the negative. Anyone who writes a book deserves my respect because, frankly, they're putting themselves out there. That's well, um, I, you know, I would only want your honest opinion, but um, I sure. just I just feel. I feel confident. I there's not not all of my books I would recommend to you. Um, like for example, I don't personally think you maybe you'd enjoy Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, but but I don't know. I don't feel as confident about some of the some some of the older ones. And and uh, but I definitely feel confident on this one. So well, I, I'm in for it. I'm in yeah. for it. So um, we'll see. We'll 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 report back in 2024. So. Um, I'll see you in a year. I'll talk to you next year. <laughs> no. Well, you'll you'll see me in March. I'm coming home in March. So I've already oh, got that's... Yeah. And then well, yeah, well, you definitely need to tell me about that. I will come. Are you just going to Bloomington? Uh yeah. My um my yeah, I'll tell you about it. Uh, yeah, we'll later, talk but... offline on that one. Yeah. But uh but yeah. So folks, if you're uh interested in uh communicating with us, make comments on if that's on YouTube, there's uh, definitely the YouTube comments. I'll be looking for them. So if you, yeah, I'll be there. If you want to argue with us and tell us that we are we are totally wrong about books, you can do that. Or um, look for me, if you have books that you think we should read, put that us. on there too. Because absolutely, I love yeah. 
YouTube comments is probably the best. Even if you listen to the audio, just go turn on the video for a few minutes and hit the uh, hit the comments and uh, like and subscribe, all that stuff. And we'll see you next for episode 100. Surprise. Uh, I'm curious to what that's going to be about. Uh, well, I'll tell you when I hit stop right now. <laughs>